0: Hi everyone, welcome to episode 15 of Gather Round, the podcast series sharing stories from Aberdeen Archives Gallery and Museums. In this episode, Learning Manager Rachel The Bottom-Onaway is joined by Aberdeen-born artists Lennox Dunbar and Arthur Watson to talk about her upcoming exhibition, Constructed Narratives, Lennox Dunbar, Ian Howard and Arthur Watson, which features work purchased for the collection early in the artist's careers, alongside more recent examples by these three significant figures who, as artists and educators, have influenced subsequent generations. Listen to them talk about how they were greatly influenced by visits to the Art Gallery, and let them take you back in time to where it all started at Aberdeen Grammar School.
1: Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm the Learning Manager working for Aberdeen Archives Gallery and Museums, and I'm joined by two of Scotland's foremost visual artists, Lennox Dunbar and Arthur Watson. Hi there. Hello. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. So we've got your exhibition, Constructed Narratives, coming up at the, uh, at the Art Gallery soon. Both of you together with fellow artist Ian Howard. So I'm really pleased to be able to chat with you about the story of Constructed Narratives. But first, I was wondering if we could go back a little bit. All three of you have got long connections to the city of Aberdeen having met uh, Aberdeen Grammar School. Is that right? Maybe I'll, I'll ask you first, Lennox.
2: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, w- they, w- we were all effectively in the same art class, although Arthur was uh, a year older than Ian and myself. Uh, but the, the way that the department was set up was that the principal art teacher, Charles Hemingway at that, that time, uh, had all the... The, the students who were interested in art, studying in the same space effectively. So uh, when it came to having common projects, Arthur, myself and Ian would all be invited to review particular exhibitions or works in the gallery, uh, even though we were in different year groups. So there was a kind of common practice that the principal teachers uh, adopted just to inform the pupils of how exhibitions were organized or how we viewed particular works uh, as a kind of not just an introduction to other other people's works but but to be conscious of just how uh, important it was to to have a broader view of of work by analysis as well as making Uh, I don't know if you want to respond to that Arthur or
3: yeah I mean it it was something that I've spoken to a lot of people about this over the years, and I've yet to find anybody else who had to review exhibitions when they were schoolboys. And I think it it stood us in very good stead. He was quite a stern critic of your writing style, so that if you hated clichés, so if you started a sentence with on the hole, there'd be a little felt pen drawing on your book with uh, somebody falling into a hole in the ground. Or if you said a picture <laughs> caught my eye, there'd be a hand catching an eyeball. You know, so you need you to kind of keep clear of these things. Yeah, I've, st- I've
2: still got my review book, which I, I think there was a, an exhibition that we had. I'd be guessing the year now, but it was of all Hemingway's pupils in the gallery, probably about 20 years ago, would it be Arthur? It was some, some time ago anyway, and I've still, I think I showed my review book in that exhibition, which had the drawings that Arthur's referring to. <laughs> <laughs> they caught my eye and the uh, on the whole.
1: <laughs> he sounds like quite a character, so, an he important influence? <laughs> so those uh, trips were important. Can you tell us a little bit maybe about your early influences, your inspirations? Because you're still at school at this stage, but you, um, you, all three of you went to art school. Is that right?
3: Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about, about Hemingway was that he was very enthusiastic about certain artists, but he was also very enthusiastic about film. He had a film – there was a film society that he ran – where he had a cinema projector. So you'd go in on a Friday evening, and you would get a lecture on the Battleship Potemkin. Then you would see the Battleship Potemkin. So as a schoolboy, you were seeing these classics of modernist cinema. At the same time, he was incredibly enthusiastic about Charles Rennie Macintosh. And, I mean, it's now <laughs> the other year. It was the centenary year of Macintosh. And I remember going down on the train to Edinburgh To see the Macintosh 50th anniversary show at the Royal Scottish Museum. And it's the first time I'd been away on a train on my own. And I still got the catalogue for it, and it absolutely blew me away to the extent that I was seriously thinking about studying architecture until I found out what uh, studying architecture meant by this time, which was all about engineering and stuff that I wasn't particularly interested in. So he, he, ha- he had a very broad notion of what you could be studying because he had, a, as well as having a bunch of us who went to art school, there were an equivalent number who were going into into schools of architecture. And it was a very selective thing. He wouldn't allow anybody into the higher class unless he thought they could either get entry into an art school or a school of architecture, because he had two other art masters who would teach everybody else. And and he just concentrated on on this kind of small selected group. So he was interested
1: in nurturing your talent um, and inspiring you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you both went... To art school, Lennox. Did you did you study here in Aberdeen at Grays?
2: Yeah, yeah. Both Arthur and I, although we were in separate years, uh, different years at the school. I left in fifth year and ended up in the same year as Arthur at Grace The first two years we both did what was then regarded as a general course so you did design projects you did fine art projects you did separate drawing classes and so on and at the end of the second year we then we had to specialize I went into the painting school and Arthur went into the design school so we had a kind of introduction that was common in the first two years but then went in our separate ways Although it's fair to say that during the final two years, specialising me in the painting department and Arthur in the uh, design department, his speciality was in screen printing and printmaking, more so than textiles. Although he may he may correct that. Uh, and I was very interested and got the opportunity during that time to to kind of dabble in print as well as painting. It's fair to say I had to do it in my. Evenings or at the weekends rather than during the day because the course structure was so formalized that there wasn't no opportunity really to do it in what was a very programmed painting school. So Arthur and I, our paths crossed many an evening or a weekend, me kind of picking his brains and trying to get as much information on print process as I could. So we've had this connection for a number of years, both at college and since graduating,
1: and obviously we're missing Ian today. But Ian was at the school at the same time. He he also studied painting. Is that right?
3: Well, he went to well, Edinburgh. Well, he didn't enrol in the painting department because he did a course that really only only Edinburgh did at that time, which was a five year course called Fine Art, where you studied half the week in the art school and half the week in the School of Art History at Edinburgh University, and this this was a pretty important program. I mean, that, that's where Elizabeth Blackadder studied, for instance, and a lot mm-hmm. of other key Scottish artists went in that route. So they they had the kind of academic background uh, which which uh, we we certainly didn't have. So Ian was he was a bright boy you know, and uh, very rarely came unstuck in the art. We had to go back, to, when we were at school, we had to go back on a Tuesday at four o'clock to get art history, because we wouldn't let any of that stuff take away from studio time. And he would have these, he had all, these big tables in the middle of his room, because it was a vast room. And he would, during the course of the afternoon, he would lay out the entire history of art and architecture in postcards around this table starting off in Crete and finishing off with the German Expressionists, And I can still pretty much recite all the images. And then he would ask questions. And Ian had and still has an ability to drift off into some kind of dream world of his own, where a finger would start kind of twirling a tendril of curly hair and he would start looking at the sky. And Hemingway would see this and then ask him a question. And Ian would just Panic and answer. And he said, Howard, stand. He said, why were the three Scottish colourists so called? And he said, they were Scottish and they only used three colours. (laughs) ah, (laughs) I mean, it is quite interesting that
2: just to, to piggyback on what Arthur said there, that although Ian's art college education was covering much more art history than we did at Grey's, It's fair to say that I think when we both went to grades, we felt that the grinding that we'd had in the grammar in terms of art history and appreciation of art history gave us a real leg up on virtually everybody else that was in the the school at that time. You know, the, the art history... The exams that we had to deal with were pretty much below our standards because they were pitched at a, a much lower level than
3: we'd experienced even as schoolboys. Would, wouldn't you say that, Arthur? Well, I, I, fe- I fell f- foul of that. So did Alan Cowie who was another contemporary of us and he was a year older than me but ended up in our year. And we were both marked down in the first year art history because we were discussing artists that hadn't been selective programs. You know, they, they weren't used to coming in with this kind of that had already got a really solid background really based on terror that if you got something wrong you would be kind of publicly pilloried in front of the rest of the
1: class yeah it sounds brilliant he sounds so inspiring that teacher i think that you know a good teacher who challenges you and inspires you can continue to teach you throughout your life so it sounds like he was definitely that i want to move on a little bit because you've got Lots of connections to Aberdeen and to the city. You've mentioned Greys and obviously the Art Gallery, but you were both, you know, quite instrumental in the artistic scene here in the city. Arthur, you went on to found Peacock Printmakers. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah.
3: Tell us more. I mean, I, at the time we were at art school, there was a place, a teacher training college for everybody who graduated. Because, you know, the post-war baby boom, and everything, there were lots of kids that were growing up after that, and there was a big expansion in the whole school system with all these new schools being built and all the rest of it. And in our year, I think there were only two of us that didn't apply for the, for teacher training college. I was I was an only child, and I, I was convinced if I'd be left alone with a young person, they would suffocate, and I wouldn't know what to do about it. My then wife, both her parents were... Teachers and I thought, oh God, it's really going to hit the fan. When I confess, But then I got a post diploma year, as did Lennox. And I thought, right, I've got a year to get sorted out with something. And I was talking to my tutor Malcolm McCoy, and he was saying, you know, because he knew that I hadn't hadn't applied for the training college. And he, he said, so what what do you what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'm really interested in the kind of technical side of printmaking. I would. Quite like to just move south and you know maybe get a job in a print workshop or something. And he said, he said, you eh, know, it would be better I'm just starting one here. And so him and I had a chat about it, and he pulled in Ian Fleming, who was the former principal of the college. He was the last of the kind of early generation of. Scottish printmakers, you know, before there was the crash and the bottom dropped out of the market and all the rest of it. And he'd ch- he showed with uh, Brack and Leger in Paris as a young artist. He taught Cahoon and McBride when he taught at Glasgow School of Art. And he was, you know, it's an amazing guy. And he said, "I hey, well, just have to do it, you know. And we, so we spoke to the Arts Council, there was a meeting. Uh, with three of us in a hotel in Union Street, and this little guy who was the art officer in the Arts Council, Dol Buchanan, came up with these two beautiful art assistants, and we thought, wow, yeah, that looks like a good job. And he said, well, you'll need to do two things for us to look at funding this. So you'll need to get a body of people who are enthusiastic about it, you know, maybe have some kind of meeting, and you'll need to find a building. So Ian Mackenzie smith said, well, have the, have the meeting in the gallery, you know, and we'll publicize it. And we had about 50 or 60 people turned up. And the interesting thing about it was that there were school teachers, there were lecturers from the College of Education and the art school, there were students. You know, so it was a real mixed bag of people who were all to do with visual art, but a lot of whom had never met each other, and everybody was really enthusiastic about this. And we, we then had to find a building which would be you know, cheap and central and all the rest of it. And there were all sorts of interesting ideas, but I'd been kind of brought up in the Episcopal Cathedral where I sang in the choir. And they'd had a, a, a church school which, you know, it closed down. So they were using the two buildings as one of the bigger building, the newer building. They used as halls and meeting rooms. And then they'd rented out the old building, which dated back to 1710. And the lease was about to expire. So we we were able to to rent this building. And, And I still have the telegram from Bill Buchanan, which said, send details of lease By telegram, uh, the meeting's tomorrow, and if you don't get through this one, it'll be a year. And we got the stuff down to them, and uh, we got a a starting-off grant of £1,600 to buy the equipment and £1,400 to run it for the first year. So that was split very evenly, which was seven hundred pounds, which was the rent of the building, and seven hundred pounds, which was my annual wage for a six-day week. So yeah, it was. It really started on a high. Yeah.
1: And uh, of course, we were working with Peacock here at the the gallery because um, they have got a mm-hmm. a big birthday coming up uh, next year.
0: Yeah, but
1: um, yeah. you worked with lots of artists. Lennox, you worked with with Arthur. Um, during his time there so but you know you work with so many different artists many of whom are not printmakers Um, can you tell us a bit about that because some you invited artists to come and work with you to create editions didn't you
2: yeah well I all all of the invitations came from Arthur as as the director but uh, I mean I was very fortunate that I'd always been interested in print, as, as I said earlier, you know, learning as much as I could just in my, my own time and quite a bit of my postgraduate year as well. But without really feeling that confident with many processes, I, I became very interested in intaglio printmaking, etching and uh, other forms of intaglio process. I, I was at the meeting that Arthur referred to, the inaugural meeting in the gallery, and was really keen to use the workshop. As much as I could, just as a member, and just by, I suppose, by chance, Beth Fisher, who'd been the action technician, I think took maternity leave, or well, there was some some reason for her to be away from the building. And I, she asked, I think, I don't know if it was her asked me or Arthur asked me, maybe they both asked me if I'd be interested in just filling in for her while she was on maternity leave. So I jumped at the chance. And spent probably about six months just trying to learn as much as I could about different processes. And part of that was to addition with other artists. And I seem to remember the first main job I got to print with somebody else was Bill Littlejohn, who'd been the head of painting at Gray's. And I think he was quite surprised to see that I was being either trusted with his imagery, given that. He he knew I was a painter rather than a printmaker. I mean it actually was a very successful project and I think he was quite happy with the outcome. Yeah. And I was sat yeah, I was very interested in uh, not only his response, but just being challenged to find ways of working the process to his to suit his his needs. So it was the start of something really really interesting and I worked with many others after that. Eventually I think I think Beth moved away for a while, and I eventually took on her role on a more permanent basis yeah and then once the the workshop became much bigger and moved into the the other building to expand the the whole workshop environment, I was then appointed education officer to kind of carry out much more workshops with kids, workshops with other artists. So the whole thing just grew very quickly. So I'm very, very grateful for that experience and for that opportunity. Um, like Arthur, although he decided not to go into the teaching qualification through the, the College of Education, I did. Uh, I did do the year, and it served as much as anything to confirm in me that there was no way in the world that I want to become a school teacher. <laughs> so I <laughs> decided that after I'd done the year I would just try and find as many ways to keep working. I had a studio in town and I would just pick up odd jobs some of them part-time teaching and thankfully to Arthur I I was given some opportunity to work at Peacock to just uh, make some extra money to keep my, my practice going. So I just felt that if I was available to do stuff That was the best option for me. And and thankfully, I got many opportunities during that early years to follow paths that I would have never been able to follow had I been a school teacher. So it was it was one of those things that it just confirmed in me that that was not a route that I was wanting to take.
1: But I think that that Peacock you kind know, of really galvanized that creative scene and brought lots of creative Absolutely. people together. Um, and yeah. but it also put Aberdeen on the map, didn't it? Because it meant that you had artists who we're living and work, working elsewhere in the country, but also internationally, coming to Aberdeen to work with yeah. all of you, yeah. which um, which is a, an amazing um, thing. And we've got this amazing and beautiful archive now, which the the gallery collection take care of. Neither of you maybe wanted to be school teachers, but both of you have gone into teaching. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Arthur, you're in Dundee, is that right? Yeah, I mean, I I, I
3: got. My first offer of a, an art school job, I think, two years into Peacock, which was I think Glasgow School of Art, then Edinburgh, then Dundee, and I went to Dundee on the third invitation, where they said, "Well, okay, apart from from head of fine art, you can have any job you want." Uh, and I. I Displaced the guy who was then running the masters course, and, and went down to run masters in Dundee. And then we had we had a, a very fluid system where you would do one job for a few years, and then do a totally different job. And, you know, so you know I've run the second year program. I've I've uh, run printmaking modules for across the college from f- across design and and fine art and yeah i've always kind of enjoyed it and i mean it was it was a bit of an aberdeen mafia down there there were a lot of people <laughs> who had actually been to graves uh the head of head of fine art at that time was alan robb who was the first painter from Graves to get into the royal college there was Will McLean, who had, uh, and he wasn't, he wasn't from Aberdeen, he was from Inverness, and he'd gone to Gray's, very influenced by Fred Stiven. You know, so there were really good people in Dundee, and there had been very good people in the design school in, in Aberdeen, people like Ainsley Yule. Uh, you have several works of his in the, in the gallery collection. Uh, Fred Stiven, as I said, Malcolm McCoy. And these were all people who, although they were teaching design, were also exhibiting as fine artists. So at that time it was a lot more permeable between art and design, you know, where the, a lot of the designers were actually artists and some of the artists were then designers, you know, which was, was kind of really interesting
1: for me. And Lennox, you were, you were at Grace for quite a while as well. Um,
2: yeah I well again just reinforcing what I said earlier about keep myself available to do all kinds of stuff I mean this is I'm talking about the early sorry late 70s early 80s and one of the the main focus was to keep my studio going so I could could make work and I kind of built up I suppose a, a little bit of a not a reputation, but just kept my my name visible. I'd set up the Amsterdam studio for the Arts Council. The Arts Council got some money to set up in in Amsterdam a studio for Scottish artists to go and and spend six months or a year. And they needed somebody, first of all, to do the kind of donkey work, uh, dealing with the city of Amsterdam, the people who were similar to the Arts Council here, but in Dutch terms. So I had to liaise with them. I had to, I had to effectively build the... Int- it, was a, it was a new build. The building uh, or the studio itself was, was had no uh, furnishings, had no wallpaper, no paint, no flooring. So I, I basically had to go and equip the studio for what would be the first artist who would... Have been appointed through the Arts Council system. So I was there for about three or four months, and the only reason I got that, I think, was because I was available to do it. I had an interest in construction and and the you know the, the kind of raw materials of how a, a studio could be put together. So I was very fortunate to get that. And when I came back, I then managed to pick up some odd teaching jobs at the College of Education. The college uh, what is now Aberdeen College, uh, which was the College of Commerce then. Just kept a few arms in the fire, working sometimes at Peacock. And then in, I think it was about 1980, I got the opportunity to go part-time at the college for, I think it was a year, maybe a couple of years, at, at Grace, sorry. And then there was a... <laughs> There was a very strange advert came up from Gray's who wanted somebody to teach both painting and sculpture. I thought well, I'm going to give this a go just to see what they're up to. Thinking <laughs> I can't think of anybody who could do both. Anyway, to cut a long story short, Doug Cocker, who was also, both of us were interviewed for the for the post, and I think both of us said at our interview. Can you name anybody in Scotland who could do this role covering both departments? And the answer was no. But anyway, Doug got the job. And um, a couple of years later, another job came up, which was lecture in painting and printmaking, which suited me down to the ground. So I applied for it. And that was my way into the college. So that was in, I think, 1986. And, and initially, I was employed to do both work in the painting department and the printmaking department. And then the then head of printmaking was appointed head of fine art. And they asked me if I would take on the role of running the printmaking department, which I, I did. I thought it was a great opportunity. So that's how I ended up more in printmaking than in anything else uh, until I retired.
1: Both of your roles you know you you know the life of an artist is is quite varied isn't it and you you make your work, you're committed to that, but you also have other roles teaching or working with other artists collaborating, but the kind of breadth of that and the impact of that is that influence on subsequent generations directly you know through teaching but also through the impact of your work. But I wonder maybe if we can maybe move up to the present day. We're just a few weeks away from opening Constructed Narratives and work is uh, full steam ahead here at the gallery and both with you and Ian as well. But maybe give us a bit of insight, a bit of a teaser about the exhibition. I mean, I think we kind of established why the gallery is an important sort of venue for you to have this exhibition. But it'd be good to hear from you. You know, why now and, and and why that title as well?
3: Well, it, quite a number of years ago now, when the fruit market in Edinburgh was still the Arts Council's own gallery before they devolved it to a separate uh, organisation, they would take applications from people to curate exhibitions. So I put in an, uh, an application to do a, a show, and this was just after the expansion of Peacock where we had these enormous presses uh len oversaw the construction of this massive etching press and we had very big screen printing equipment all the rest of it and i thought it'd be really interesting to you know to just immediately do a project with four artists in the area you know not bringing in people from elsewhere in europe or whatever which we certainly did for other things and the idea is we'd have two sculptors and two painters. Ian and Lennox were the two painters, and Frank Pottinger and Fred Bush were the two sculptors. Now, they're both dead, although there's a little show of small works by Frank opening at the RSA, I think, this week, is it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it is. Um, So this was, you know, it was a chant, and really Frank Pottinger rose to to this. You know, he'd previously made quite small work, and he'd made one big piece for the first sculpture open, and then made another one for this show, and it was really quite dramatic. But each of them had these really very significant prints as part of this, so it was showing you know painters making very serious large-scale prints and sculptors uh, doing the same. We were able, if we wanted to do a big action, then Ian would always program it in. Because it was like these days, you know, the programs are, are there four years in advance. I mean, Ian was a master of kind of, you know, finding a gap in somebody's touring schedule and flipping the show up to Aberdeen. But uh, he also gave us the opportunity to do some really big shows in the gallery, which were, you know, were really important to us and to some of the artists working on. And that... You know, had had amazing value because these were the shows that would get press from way outside Aberdeen and would then tour to other venues on the back of that. Also, there was uh, an older artist, uh, Dan Stephen, who had a studio in Backwind, and it was that building was getting redeveloped. So we went to the council and said, you know, do they have any premises? And they made, they converted this upper floor would have been a flat at one point or part of a shop downstairs into a residential studio. And then Dan moved to Perth, leaving them with the regi- residential studio. And Ian and I were having a having a beer. We kind of got together every month just to make sure we weren't doing openings on the same night or doing anything that clashed. And he said, what are we going to do with that studio? I said, well, you we could have an international artist in residence program where we would give the artist the run of Peacock for however months they were there, you would give them the, the studio and then they'd have a show they could have a show around the balcony, which is where the prints were normally shown in the gallery. And we did that for several years. And a lot of these artists came back under their own steam in future years, which was great. And in fact one or two of them actually ended up moving to, to Scotland as a result of this so again we were we were the only workshop that really had this established international program, and it worked out really well i mean we had, We had people from america france yugoslavia you yeah, know it was it was brilliant so the the gallery continued to be a a real kind of dynamic partner in all sorts of schemes. It was fantastic.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about the exhibition constructed narratives?
2: The original idea of this came about, I I was a trustee of the gallery during the refit. And it was, I I had the privilege of not only seeing and knowing the building as it was, but seeing how it grew through the reconstruction, which was just phenomenal to to be able to, to, to go into the building when it was being fitted out, seeing just how the changes were being made and i just thought this is going to be such a fantastic venue for hopefully showcasing not only touring shows but hopefully important scottish shows so i i thought we were at the a meeting at the rsc i think when arthur was the president and i said to him i thought given our the, the three of us uh, the history of the three of us being at the school together the connections to the gallery i just thought Um, it would be because we've never shown together. I mean, I've shown with Ian and I've shown with Arthur in various group shows, but we've never actually shown a kind of connected body of work because there are connections, obviously, in the way that we uh, work, hence the name Constructed Narratives. And I just felt if we're ever going to have a show together, now is the time to do it. Let's apply to the gallery to see if they would be interested. Thankfully, they were. And it kind of grew from there. I just thought it was a good opportunity for the three of us to kind of show before it was too late. So that's thankfully what we managed to do. Uh, The Constructed Narratives idea, I think Arthur came up with that title, which I think is an excellent title, because it does kind of embody each of our work in very different ways. So, yeah, looking forward to just seeing it all in the space.
3: I think I'd also had personally a bit of an exhibiting history at the gallery. So when I was a relatively young artist in 1979, I would have been five years out of art school, I was in a show that Ian put together with oil company support, which was 10 artists from northeast Scotland. And I think six of the artists had taught me when I was a student. So I was kind of out of my peer group comfort zone. And it was the first time I really showed a body of Freestanding sculpture, you know, up to then, my tentative move into sculpture which I'd always been interested in, but at Gray's you either made plaster copies of Barbara Hepworth or clay figures of rather unprepossessing models, and I wasn't particularly interested in that. But uh, that was a great opportunity to be able to make a body of work for a very serious show, which was then going to go to Bergen in in Norway. And then in 2000, I met Kieran Monaghan, who was then at the gallery in School Hill, and I'd been teaching at Dundee full-time since 1996. So this would have been maybe about 98, something like that. And he said, you know, you ever thought of having a show in the gallery? I said, oh, I'd jump at the chance. it yeah, would be fantastic. So it was originally going to be a show in two of the temporary exhibition rooms. And then, you know, the Maritime Museum thought it might be quite interesting if they did something then Peacock thought it might be quite interesting if they did something. Uh, The hospital gallery thought it would be interesting if they did something. And then, you know, we showed all the sketchbooks in the library. So it kind of got a bit out of hand. In fact, we brought a bus up from Dundee with a whole lot of people from the college for the five openings. And then it just just moved people around from opening to opening. And at one point, Deirdre and I were still putting vinyls up in one uh, gallery while other people were having an opening in another one. And I've reassured Deirdre that
1: this won't happen. So we'll be on target for the deadline. Yeah, yeah. I know that's part of the excitement as well of opening a new show. Uh, It was working right up to the wire. So leading on from the exhibition, we've also got this wonderful range of events. We've got an associated programme that will happen here at the gallery. We've got a lunchtime talk. Um, But before that, you're coming, both of you are coming to do a guest at Gray's Lecture, which is a, a partnership with the School of Art. The lecture happens in the Cowdery Hall. Everybody's welcome. We expect quite a lot of students to come along. But we're also really pleased that you're supporting a workshop with Aberdeen Grammar School pupils. And that will take place in the week leading up to the the show opening here so that those pupils um, who are at the grammar school now can benefit from the insight and influence that you can give them. When they come here, so it's, um, yeah. I'm excited about that, about the pupils today meeting, meeting you um, and hearing about your work. And then yeah. we also have some music performances planned. Arthur, your practice sort of spans quite a lot of different disciplines, including music, but can you tell us a bit more about the performances?
3: Yeah, one of the pieces that I'm showing is a, like a kind of analogue echo chamber. It's a kind of curved screen with seating and a table so that there's this notion of social singing you know which is not on a concert platform but it's just done in a kind of domestic environment so on the day after the opening there'll be two of the people who have been involved in making one of the works who are also singers they'll be singing at it I'll be singing a friend of mine Ken Langsbury from Gloucestershire who I sing with Several times a year. I think he's about eighty-five now, and and a totally unique character. Uh, he's he's coming up from from Fair for that. And uh, oh, and, and local worthy Danny Cooper. And then we're going to do because one of the one of the other pieces in the in the show is a year a drinking coat. And this was a notion of having this really cosy coat that you can only wear on Hogmanay when you went out round the houses. When I was growing up in Aberdeen, Hogmanay was a big thing. And then it started to kind of tail off because virtually every week with the coming of oil, every weekend was like Hogmanay. We're going to do one again, certainly with uh, Jimmy and Danny, but they'll probably pick up another couple of singers for that. And these are just completely informal. It won't be like a concert with people introducing things. They'll just be sitting around this circular table singing to each other. So there's no context. But on the outside of the structure, there are the names of 26 singers who have contributed songs to my repertoire. Now not all of them I've met I just maybe have recordings but most of them would be from the northeast and most of them I would have known at one point in the other. A significant number of them, of course, are dead. Yeah, but the repertoire passes down generations. Somebody comes up who's a singer and we'll just get them to sing something as well. You know, so we'll, we'll just see how it goes.
1: Well, that sounds brilliant. So that the, the year-end drinking coat event is going to happen on the 30th of December. On the so 30th, we...
3: yes. Near the year-end as we can get, with with the yeah. gallery still being opened. <laughs>
1: Fantastic. Yeah. So I think all all the information about these events is uh, is um, on our going to be on our website and uh, there'll be a Watson brochure so anyone listening can pick that up and find out. Everything's free. The exhibition's free as well. So please come down and we're gonna we're gonna see you there. I'd like to thank you both so much for chatting
0: to me today.
1: Good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, it's been good.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and we look forward to seeing you at the exhibition Constructed Narratives which opens on Saturday the 14th of October at Aberdeen Art Gallery on School Hill and is admission free. Please make sure to check our website for the events that will coincide with the exhibition. Remember to hit that subscribe button to never miss an episode of Gather Round. Until next time, bye!